0: Hello, I'm Paul Petrunia, and this is Archonnect Sessions. Next up, Exhibit Columbus. In this sixth and final episode of our series of conversations with the curators of Exhibit Columbus and the recipients of the Jay Irwin and Xenia S. Miller Prize, I'm speaking with Sam Jacob. Sam Jacob's studio for architecture and design is a London-based practice that works at a variety of scales from urban planning to architecture, design objects, art, and curatorial work. Sam Jacob also currently works as a professor of architecture at the University of Illinois in Chicago and as a columnist for Art Review. Sam's installation for Exhibit Columbus is located on Washington Street. He treats the six city blocks as a design object in his project titled Alternative Instruments, telling the story of utopia from the perspective of both history and fiction, referencing a 16th century novel by Thomas More through symbolism Mapping and the typography of the utopian alphabet. So, how would you describe the work that you do at Sam Jacobs Studio?
1: Ah, good question, Paul. I would say that it's really interested in ways of making architecture and design kind of embody something, like embody an idea, embody a story, or respond to a history or respond to a site in quite an articulate way. But to do that very much through its like form and material so that the the ideas kind of shape the materiality and the organization of of whatever it is that we're that we're working on.
0: So your studio is quite diverse in, in its type of of work that you take on. You you do architecture and interiors, objects like clothing. House objects, uh, places, strategies, and exhibitions. Do you do you feel like it's a pretty equal balance between those those different disciplines?
1: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it kind of veers from one to the other in quite a chaotic way. And in another sense, like all of those different approaches, you could say, like you know, each of those types of projects has a different opportunity, a different scale, a different kind of uh, set of constraints. And I've always found it really productive to to use those kind of like different scenarios to help understand, to understand things in unfamiliar ways. Like, what do you learn from, about designing a building from designing a t-shirt? What do you learn about organizing a plan from writing an essay? What do you learn about like something very prosaic, like, you know, designing some toilets from making exhibitions so that somehow there's lessons that can always be learned and transferred from quite unlikely sources to a new host?
0: So where do you typically start in the, in, in your design and, and research process when you take on a new project?
1: Usually we start by looking at the narrative of the project. And that could be from, you know, if it's an exhibition, it could be the kind of curatorial idea. If it's a site, it could be its history, but always trying to find, I suppose, kind of lateral connections, not necessarily direct. Connections and that often gives us a kind of a kind of springboard into into a world which suddenly seems like an urgent subject for the for the design project to, to be concerned with.
0: So I'm I'm curious about your response to after you were awarded the uh, Jay Irwin and Xenia uh, Miller Prize. As a non-American, did you find this uh, challenging to design an installation for this specific context, which is uh, very American?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also it's also a challenge because I haven't been able to make any site visits. So kind of th- a lot of the things which, and a lot of the ways in which I'd normally work, like completely unavailable. And I'm lucky I have been to Columbus before and I've spent quite a bit of time in uh, traveling around in the Midwest, like kind of based... Out of teaching in in Chicago for a long time now, so like it doesn't feel completely alien to me, but it's always interestingly alien. I think like some kind of dislocation has found its way in into the project. Like the fact that I can only access it access Columbus through through images and and the written word through stories, not through like the experience of the actual place as we go through the project. That's definitely had an had an effect. I think in, in terms of like what how I feel. The subject matter has developed.
0: Yeah, I mean, it uh, seems to be very representative of of how a lot of people are working these days. You know, with with uh, having to kind of assess a situation from a distance. What What are your thoughts on the Midwest? You know, uh, the Midwest has kind of always taken second place. It seems like here in the U.S. between you know the the East and West coasts. Like, w- do you have any any thoughts on on how the midwest the role the midwest plays in the in the country from the architectural and cultural kind of perspective
1: well i mean i've always been amazed at the sort of vibrancy of of, of chicago's um architectural culture but um and the institutions and sort of number of schools and the conversations has always been like you know really surprising like uh, or, or really impressive rather like heading out from chicago I mean, I remember one time just driving West out to, uh, Champagne. And it was, for me, that was, that did feel very, very unfamiliar. Like the total flatness, the kind of lack of anything in that space. And that was always been very exciting to me because it's so different to the kind of, you know, the kind of density and the intricacy of Europe and of, of London. I love just, there's a sense of space, which is so entirely different. Like, you know, one of the things I would always do if anyone's visiting me in Chicago, I would take them up to the top of the the Hancock Tower for a drink just to look at the sun going down where you suddenly see the grid of the city heading out west. You see the dark outline of, of the lake and you see what looks like, a you know, by day, it looks like a city suddenly turn into this sort of incredibly abstract, you know, plain shapes, objects. And I feel that that sensibility is, is not just a kind of physical thing. It's also a manifestation of like, uh, you know, I guess the history of, of the colonization and the expansion of, of North America, like kind of written into the landscape as much as the qualities of the landscape itself. And that, that legibility seems It is so unusual to me. Maybe I see it in a different way to, to how maybe Paul, you would, you would look at London, but I always find it very exciting to see kind of ideology manifested so like bluntly into the landscape. How did you approach this uh, specific commission
0: for alternative instruments? What was your starting point in, in your investigation into, into this project?
1: Yeah. Well, my, my starting point was really like was, was very distant from from Columbus as a as a play and um, i think became much more interested in Columbus as a manifestation of an idea in a sense mm-hmm. like even in the you know the name of the of the city and the name of the state like a, re- a absolutely revealing of of a of the relatively recent history of that of that landscape and i began to Sort of make associations, uh, which maybe the beginning were accidental, but they came to feel like they were more, they had more and more resonance, I suppose. You know, when I made my pilgrimage to, to Columbus, I went to look at the incredible, you know, kind of architectural projects and the, the manifestation of a certain, say, American version of the modernist dream of, you know, great design, improving people's lives. Is maybe more present in Columbus than very, very many places I've been to. Like the fact that the kids' trip to the library is yeah. is an incredible architectural experience, or the you know the fire truck rolling rolling out to go and put out a fire comes out of an absolute you know classic of uh, late 20th century uh, architectural culture. That's obviously in, in, incredible and un, really unusual. But those ideas of of utopia and and modernism. Began to get meshed up uh, and uh, associated with older ideas of utopia. Like I've long been interested in, I've taught studios at, at UIC on utopian settlements in in North America, sort of early European settlements with with political or religious ideas manifested as ways of life, but also as kind of architectural organizations. And that seemed to be quite like close to Columbus as well. I mean, it's physically close in places like New Harmony, also in in Indiana. And those sort of ideas of utopia, the ideas of European expansionism, and the projection of ideas from Europe onto what was, you know, what was considered to be a new world. The kind of idea of the blank slate, and maybe like a lot of the complexities and problems of the Tabula Rasa, um, and the rejection of history or the um the, the wiping away of, of of history or what has come before and the problems that, that that are associated with that all seem to be kind of like seem to come together for me and maybe in the key the key text f- for for the project i'm making for columbus is thomas moore's utopia which itself is a record or, or you know a fictional record of a european voyage to to the new world, modelled on the kinds of accounts which were coming back from Portuguese and and Spanish expeditions. But of course in Thomas More's version, which is part kind of aspirational political document, like proto-socialist, perhaps even proto-communist, is also a satire of, of those contemporary accounts. And so those kinds of ideas like utopia, the making of better worlds, exploration, colonialism imperialism the benefits and problems of project projection of ideas the communication of information all seem to come together for me at least in my you know thousands of miles away from the actual from actual washington street and actual columbus and actual indiana so that's the sort of like formation of the, the the approach for the their design.
0: Yeah, you referenced Thomas More's utopia in this project. And you know, it, it we're living in a time that, that's changing so quickly. I'm I'm curious to hear what relevance a a text from the 16th century has to to uh to the world that we live in
1: today. Well, I mean, when are the ideas embedded in that book not not relevant, I would say. Uh-huh. <laughs> you yeah. know, what it what it talks about is a, a society where which is much more kind of where everything's shared. Like if you take the, which is it is part of the project, I've been going through the text, the fine tooth comb, trying to find, Phrases, and when you when you pull those phrases out of the context of a 16th century 16th century language, they feel incredibly contemporary. You know, like keep the public stores full, for example. The, all of these kind of little phrases, which talk about how society should be organised, how things could be shared, how power can be kind of distributed, seem absolutely part of the conversations which which uh, are very current in. Today's political landscape, whether that's ideological conflicts or whether that's kind of post COVID, how do we, you know, kind of rebuild, rebuild the world in a, in a more equitable way? And I think it's that, you know, that in a sense is that at the core of the book, which is about an idea of a more equitable world. And mm-hmm. I'm surely that's something which should never go out of fashion. Paul.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's nice to reference a text that isn't, uh, so influenced by current day. Politics and issues, you know, just the, back to the core basics. So, can you talk a little bit about the design of your installation and and the form that your design has taken?
1: Mm. I got very very interested in like the the let's say the equipment of European kind of colonialism, like ships, like the sort of civic language of of boat. I was also interested in the civic. A very uncontemporary kind of civic language, which you, which, which is part of a sort of a layer applied to the, to the city, which actually turns out to be similarly related. So weather vanes you know, on a church or on a significant building and the weather vane itself being something which both records and communicates the direction of the wind, of course, but also has this symbolic role. Like a weather vane on top of a church may be different to a weather vane on top of a castle. Um let's say what you know what its shape is, what it's saying, what it looks like. So I began to get in, get interested in the ways in which the let's say the some of the the roofscape of London near the river merges with the roofscape of the of the boats which were sailing across the Atlantic. I was then also thinking about the kinds of you know typical roadside, American signs, the kinds which are eulogised or analysed and analysed in um, learning from Las Vegas, what Bob and Denise call high readers, the, you know, the, the the big signs with arrows and flashing neons, and sort of suddenly, at least in my way of looking at things, when I looked at the you know the the, the central mast of Columbus's Santa Maria and the Las Vegas high reader. I suddenly saw, hold on a minute, maybe there is this sort of connection which is not only about communication but is also connecting the landmass to sea to landmass. It's about the embodiment of information and the communication of very specific kind of ideas, whether that's about leisure and entertainment or whether it's about a religious conviction that, that, that whatever you might be doing is morally right. However... That may be seen from the contemporary perspective, but also how these trajectories might connect together like moments in time, which seem very different that might connect the 16th century with the 1960s. It also began to resonate with Washington Street, where in the 60s, Alexander Girard, one of the kind of mid century designers connected with Columbus, had made a project about street signage and had cleaned up a lot of the old let's say like classic neon signs which he saw as a form of clutter and he developed this much more refined almost stylized version of street signs so all of these things seem to fall in a into a into a set of relationships to me and that felt like something which could be developed into a, a design language which merges like the history of weather vanes with the history of roadside America, but talking about, let's say, the uh, possession and control of, of land.
0: Mm. Wow. Well, it's, it's a fascinating uh, set of, of ideas that have contributed to this, to this project, which looks really stunning. I, I hope that I'll be able to see it in person. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to talk about this project and, and your work.
1: That's a pleasure, Paul.
0: We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Sam Jacob. If you haven't yet, make sure to check out our previous episodes featuring Mimi Zeiger and Iker Gill, the co-curators of Exhibit Columbus, and also the other recipients of the Miller Prize, Dream the Combine, Estudio Arbano, Future Firm, and Olalakan JFS. To learn more about Exhibit Columbus and the 2021 exhibition, which opens up this weekend, go to ExhibitColumbus.org. If you have any questions or feedback you'd like to share with us, you can leave us a comment on Archonnect or send an email to connect at archonnect.com. Thanks so much for listening to this mini-series. Next up, Exhibit Columbus.